How's everybody doing tonight? Hey, thank you for having me. When Camden told me what he wanted me to speak on, I had to really think about it because um, I didn't really do that with him. I want to just share my story with you a little bit and then just talk to you about this subject, which I'm really passionate about. I've been teaching uh, married couples for over 20 years at Bellevue Church there in Memphis. And uh, now I'm teaching, um, I quit doing that, now I'm invested in young couples and talking to them um, about what it looks like to be um, to parent and today's culture and marriage and things of that sort. So this is a passionate subject for me. As I get into this, I need you guys to know that this, uh, this is not what I do for a living. I, I build saddles for horses for a living. Uh, we own a saddle company and um, we make about a thousand saddles a month, Western saddles for cowboys and ship them all over the world. And that's what I do for a living. And so I've done that for 42 years. And I know I don't look that old. I literally started when I was 13 years old and became a saddle maker. Then we bought companies, and now we're the largest Western saddle company in the world. And um, so, um, so what I do here is just fun for me. And um, my advice that I give you is coming from a saddle guy, okay? So you could take it or leave it. It's totally up to you. But I'm going to ask you to make a decision tonight. And so if you ever hear anybody who talks about their life, and somebody that you respect and that you admire and you watched and then you hear their testimony and they um it's a horrendous testimony or their upbringing you know came out of a drug background an abusive background divorce maybe several times alcohol drugs whatever it is and you look at him you say i would never have believed that they came up in that background and if you were to ask them what changed it's usually two words I've decided. I decided I wasn't going to let that own me anymore. I decided I wasn't going to go that way. I decided whatever it is, they decided to change directions. And whatever it was they were brought up in or went through, they, was, they weren't going to let it own them anymore. They decided. And so you guys get to decide tonight. And some of you have already decided. The fact that you're here tells me that you've already decided that you're going to take ownership of your family and your kids and their upbringing and their church background and their faith. You've decided that. But it's actually bigger than that. As you guys know, des um, direction determines destination, not intention. And so you could have great intentions. If I were to ask you what were your, are your intentions with your kids, and you told me, and um, you would give me some great religious answers, and, uh, and, um, and what you wanted them to look like, it would be awesome, and your uh, friends would give you high fives because you gave great answers. Then I, asked, then if I were to ask you after that, well, what direction are you going? Your intention is this, but are you going that direction? We'd have to actually consider that for, for a little while. And so, but I grew up very dysfunctional family. I'm a one of seven, and my, my dad had an affair. My mom forgave him. Then my mom had an affair. My dad didn't forgive her, and so it separated our family. But very dysfunctional. I, I was in Wisconsin. I lived in Florida, big culture shock, Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Then I moved to northern Mississippi, big culture shock. And in, in that time, um, I did the drugs. I did all that stuff. If you, could, if you could think of it, I did it. And most of it I did before the age of 12. And then when I moved to, uh, in Florida, you can get pot anywhere. I'd go ride my skate. I lived just a mile from the beach, ride my skateboard down to the beach and buy marijuana and get high. I'm like 10, 11, you know, and... I carried that on 
into high school in northern Mississippi. And, um, and I started working for this guy that owned this saddle company. He was a Christian. And at that time, I adopted my dad's religious theology that um, Baptists were Bible thumpers and holy rollers. And so that's the same theology I had. And uh, my dad never told me what to do. When my parents separated, I went and lived with my dad and my siblings. That's a whole big story. Went other places. And so my dad was my friend. Um, I could inv- I'd come home, or he'd come home late at night. I would be going out late at night. One night I was going out. He said, where are you going? I said, I'm going to a girl's slumber party. And he gave me a handful of condoms and told me have a good time. And that's how I grew up. And so you guys would fill in the blanks. And so I started working for this guy that owned this saddle company who was a believer. And my dad, he was a gift giver. So he bought me a horse. And so I was into the horse world, just trail riding, not like big time, but I liked horses. And my dad was a TV repairman when they had TV repairmen. They don't have them anymore. And he worked right next door to this guy. And I would go over there and hang out with him. For some reason, he liked me. And um, he would have me clean. I worked for 50 cents an hour. He'd have me clean the floors and all this stuff. And he'd tell me about Jesus. And I would hear, but I didn't really want to come to Christ because I thought religion was all about rules. And nobody told me what to do. My dad didn't even tell me what to do. I'd go to school whenever I wanted. I'd come in and out whenever I wanted. I just did whatever I wanted. I'm 16 years old at the time. I'm dating a 21-year-old girl. She's got a Mustang, not horse, car. And she'd let me drive it and while she went to work. And I was just living my life, you know. And um, the thing I couldn't get past was, uh, first, I didn't want anybody telling me what to do. I couldn't get past this thing called love and unconditional love. God loved me just that. And all the love I've seen my whole life was I love you if, I love you because, I love you when. Is all these conditions. And if the conditions didn't work out, they left. And that's what I grew up in. My mom was married several times. My dad was married several times. And when the conditions weren't met, they gave up on each other and they, and they left. And so, um, so I didn't understand that. And so he talked me into going to a church camp, and I went and um, because they're, they're going to Wet and Wild and a bunch of girls at Bellevue Church, man. Who wouldn't want to go, right? So I went, and the theme was love. What a coincidence, right? They talked about love the whole week, the whole week. And the, you guys know how church camps work. The very last week, the culmination, the, you know, the big drums, and everybody starts crying and hugging each other. And telling them they love each other. It scared me. Literally, it scared me. And I left because I grew up in the age during the Guyana tragedy. Y'all ever heard Jim Jones? And they're out there in the woods, and they're drinking the juice, and they all kill themselves, right? You heard them say, you heard the terminology, they drank the juice. Well, that came from Jim Jones, and I'm looking for the juice. These guys are going to bring the juice out. They're going to kill each other, and I'm out. So I left. But that really spoke to me. And um, I realized that this Jesus thing was real, and I had a decision to make. And, and um, as I was coming more toward Christ, I was diving deeper into my sin. And I started drinking more, started running around more, started doing more stupid stuff because I was fighting coming to Christ. And the more stupid stuff I was doing, the actually the closer I was getting to Christ until I realized, you know, this, I've tried everything. And I, this is what I need to do. And I became a believer. And I was a roller coaster Christian. I lived for God on Sunday really good. On Monday, pretty good. On Tuesday, all right. Wednesday, I'm looking forward to the weekend. And so I was a roller coaster Christian. Then one day, I'm in class. I'm sitting in the back left hand corner, and this guy comes in. 
he's the good-looking guy. Everybody has a, the good-looking guy in school, right, that everybody looks up to, and that was his. His name was Tommy, if you're a Tommy. And I looked at Tommy and said, man, he was cussing and just going off about the weekend. I said, why do you cuss so much? And he looked at me and said, why, are you going to be a Christian for a month? I thought, ooh, he knows. How does he know? How does he know? And really, the only verse I knew at that time, I don't even know how I knew it. It's, you're the light of the world. A city set on a hill could not be hidden. And at this time, I respected God enough. I wasn't going to be the hypocrite. And I was either going to say, Tommy made me decide. I decided I was either going to do this thing halfway. I wasn't going to do it halfway or I'm going to go all in. And I decided to go all in because I knew what the other way was like. And so, man, I started going for God. And um, I was kind of in no man's land, though. I was too good to hang out with the bad people and too bad to hang out with the good people. So I was kind of on my own. And um, But I started leading Bible studies and just really diving in and got some Christian friends. I had to lead my other buddies and all this stuff. But you know what I didn't want to do? I didn't want to get married because I didn't. I never saw a marriage work. And so um, until the guy that I worked for building saddles at this time, I'm learning how to build saddles and, you know, I watched him date his wife and they had fun. I had literally had never seen that. I can remember them flirting around and all that stuff. I thought, man, I didn't know you could have fun being married. Uh, if you could do that, I wouldn't mind being married. So I started praying for a wife. I wanted a wife who wanted to be a mom, who wanted to be a wife. There's a difference. You guys are smart enough to know that and who's sensitive to the Holy Spirit. I started asking God for that. So I graduate from high school, and I get into college, and I see this young lady singing at Bellevue, and I thought, I wouldn't mind meeting her. I took her out on a date, and she told me all she wanted to be was a, a wife and a mom. I thought, this is her. This is her. I can remember the first date. I thought, I'm going to marry her, and, 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 I, and I did. We did, and then I didn't know about being a parent, and and. Here's, I didn't know how to be a husband, nor did I know how to be a parent. I knew, I guess I could have done the opposite of my dad, and I would have been okay. But I wanted to be a good husband, and I wanted to be a good parent. So I took a deep dive. I went to, I hung out with people I thought were good husbands and good parents, and I started studying, and I started reading, and I started listening, and I started watching, and I started learning. And I did this thing, I got this word up here, intentional parenting. And I learned, this is what I learned, guys. I'm going to, I've got so much I could give you. We could spend in here for a, a, several months, okay? I'm going to try to give you the Cliff Notes version. But I heard this word. The word that I heard um, was called entropy. Entropy, it's a physics word. It's the second law of thermodynamics, and it means everything's in a state of decay. And you guys understand things in a state of decay. If you don't if you don't touch your house, it falls apart. If you don't wash your car, it rusts. But I learned it's the, everything's in a, in a state of decay also with relationships. That the natural direction for everything is backwards. That's the natural direction. And if you want to go forward, you have to wash your car. You have to paint your house. You have to clean your house. You have to get rid of the cobwebs. If you want your marriage to go forward, that means you can't be neutral. Neutral means backwards. That means you could be neither good nor bad. And the, op and the automatic direction is what direction? Backwards. backwards. Yeah, it's backwards. And it's like that with parenting. You can't just cram. You can't cram for things that are important. It's small investments of time, 
over time is cumulative. It adds up to something. And, and it's like dating your wife. You can't miss a whole year of dating and think one week and you're going to take her out eight times and make up for it. It doesn't work. Now, the wife is appreciative, but she's wondering where you've been for the last 51 weeks. You know, so you, so it's it's a constant thing. It's a continual thing. So um, I, I'm i going to share with you guys some of the things that I learned and that we actually implemented it and we did. Okay, so you know my background. This is going to be important. You know what I didn't want to do. I didn't want to get married, didn't want to have kids, didn't know how. And then I, I decided that we we're going to do that, and I decided I wanted to be a good parent. And so I did things that was abnormal for me. Now, it's normal parenting, normal husband stuff, but it was abnormal for me because normal for me was doing nothing, watching TV and, you know, let my kids do whatever they wanted to do. And I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to do that. And so my wife and I, we have five kids. You all know Camden and Hannah Grace and the little girl is my daughter. She's 17 now, the one in the middle, her and her husband, Keenan. And uh, Lagan, my daughter in the white shirt, and then my son over there on the far right. We have five children, and we uh, and we wanted them to grow up and just to be followers of Christ. And so I, I'm going to spend a lot of time. I'm going to talk to you about with what you want for your kids, then what your kids want for you. I'm gonna. There's six things for one and ten things for the other. I'm going to do the first one of both. I'm going to spend a lot of time on that. And this might be different than what you think. I'm not going to tell you guys you need to do 29, 59 every day with your kids. You need to memorize scripture like crazy. I'm not going to tell you all that stuff. I'm going to tell you what I did. And if you think it's okay, maybe you can try it. So we had five kids, and we, we, um, we um, parented them with purpose. Now, Camden, as you guys know, is a youth guy. The guy on the far right wants to be a youth pastor. My little daughter there, she wants to be a missionary. She wants to impact people for Christ. And, um, and, and what we wanted to do is we wanted to give our kids a chance to make the right decision. That's one of the reasons why we homeschooled, not because we didn't think they could learn two plus two at school. We homeschooled because we wanted to teach our kids to think. And um, if they chose to do wrong, it was on them. But we, I've seen a lot of smarter people do dumb stuff. Have you guys seen that? A lot of smart people do dumb stuff. And we wanted to teach our kids, when life hits you, this is how you respond. And so one of the things I learned is that I'm not raising kids. You're not raising kids. You're raising adults. When you go ask a farmer what's he growing, he doesn't say, I'm growing a seedling. It's germinating. He says, I'm growing corn. I'm growing cotton. I'm growing beans. And what they're doing, they're doing the steps in order to get corn, in order to get cotton, in order to get beans. And so what we decide is we're grown adults, and we're going to do the things in order to get an adult. So we asked ourselves when we raised our kids, how do we want our adult child to respond to this? How we want them to respond for this? So we actually had some characteristics that we had for our kids that we wanted them to look like when they were grown up. And so, um, so one of the things that we asked ourselves is, is what story do we want to tell about our kids? We kind of worked that way, what we wanted them to to, to look like and so what we did was um i got a verse here because you got to have a verse we're in church i want you guys to know i use the bible okay teach us teach teach us to number our days that we may gain the heart of wisdom and guys you need to know this is a short run this is a short run now 
most of you guys have grown kids. I see a, a, a little baby here. Um, we did this. The stuff I'm getting ready to tell you, we did this when they were babies. You know, and we would use words like train, don't retrain. And so um, if we didn't want our kids running from us when they were older, we didn't let them run away from us when they were younger. And so, you know, you see little baby running, well, oh, that's so cute, look at him running, and then he's in a parking lot and he runs away from you when you're calling him, and you're mad at him, you wonder why he runs away from you. Well, you let him do that from the very beginning. We didn't let our kids sleep with us. We let them cry. We did all that stuff, okay? We could talk about that um, as maybe w another day if Camden invites, us back, invites me back. He might not do that after, after today. But this is what we did. So we had some characteristics we want our kids to look like. And so the first one was we wanted to be a Christ follower. That was the first characteristic. So we wanted to live our life in such a way that our kids were Christ followers. So what does that mean? Well, that means that a parent's goal for their kids is to become a follower of Christ is not to be the stumbling block. So we didn't want to be the stumbling block for our kids not being Christ followers. And for most children who grow up in the church, their parents are the stumbling block from them becoming Christ followers. Do you know that the reason most people don't follow Christ isn't because they don't believe in God. They don't follow Christ because they don't think we believe in God. We live our life in such a way that when bad things happen, we blame God, we blame other people, we get... Um, blame transfer, we get defensive, you know, we go off, we cuss, you know, the innermost part of you starts coming out, people think, man, I thought that guy was a believer. You know what causes people to come to Christ? It's not how good you are when life is good, it's how good you are when life is bad. That's what causes people to come to Christ. And so it's the same way, I've, and you guys probably know this, what you do in limitations, your kids do in excess. And when you do in secret, your kids shout from the rooftop, shout from the rooftop. So I didn't want to be a stumbling block to my kids becoming Christ followers. So I lived my life in such a way that if Camden decided he didn't want to follow Christ, it wasn't dad's fault. It wasn't dad's fault. That what you see here tonight, and you can ask Camden, I'm like that all the time. I'm like that all the time. And so what does that also mean? That fathers, this is a big responsibility, dad, that fathers are the priest of the home. And you know what the priest of the home does? He goes before God on behalf of the family, and he goes to the family on behalf of God. That he's setting the example. He's setting the rule. I remember my wife had um, this theology she was battling with, and it was concerning salvation. They have the Armenian theology, and then they have the um, predestination theology and um, Calvinism. And she was battling it. Somebody had challenged her on it. I didn't care. I was a Christian. I didn't care whether she, what direction she went. It didn't change anything that I did. And I remember one time uh, we lived in, I can tell you where I was. And she pulled the um, You're My Spiritual Leader card on me. And she said, you need to study this with me because if I'm being deceived, it's up to you to find out. And I thought, great. Now I've got to dive into it. And I did. I did. But that's my responsibility. And she was right. If she's being deceived, it's my responsibility to do that. You know, when my kids did bad stuff, who the first person was that I looked at was me. Did, did I leave a door open? Am I living a life that's, that's honoring to God? Am I spending time with the Father like I should to? You know, am I, am I, am I? Because if not, I'm just leaving the door open for these guys to do something foolish. And I didn't want to be that person. And... 
the other thing that we learned is Jesus did nothing wrong, but he did everything to make things right. And that's, you know, we're supposed to love our wife as Christ loved the church. And how does that look? Well, if I'm supposed to love my wife as Christ loved the church, I'm supposed to make things right, even though I didn't do anything wrong. And 90% of the time, I don't do anything wrong. It's all her. It's, it's her doing it all, right? And you guys know that's not true. And so that's my responsibility. So we're going to talk about this here in just a minute. So my first thing I wanted for my kids is I wanted them to be Christ followers. Now, what do you kids want from you? We're going to look at this one, and then we're going to talk about it for a minute, okay? This will be the longest part. So the next one here, that your kids want to know from you that you have a strong belief in your role as a parent. Do you know that you are the strongest influencer to your children? Now, get this, guys, and I don't want to slide over this, that you guys heard that more things are caught than what? Taught. More things are caught than taught. And so we knew we were the strongest influencer in our, in, with our kids. Now, statistically, get this. The number one things kids turn to when they go into hard times, music. Music's the number one thing they turn to when going through difficult times. Music says externally what's going on internally. When our kids listened to things we didn't like, we didn't attack the music. We attacked the emotion behind the music because we knew how important music is to kids. And so we would actually listen to the music they, list, they listened to, and it would tell us what's going on with them. And we had this thing, look for the need behind the deed. Look for the need behind the deed. So we didn't attack the deed. We attacked the need. One time I came home, my daughter Bethany, um, I asked her something. She mouthed off at me, which was abnormal. And so I went to my wife. I said, what's wrong with Bethany? She said, why? I said, well, I asked her a question, and she mouthed off at me. It's not normal. She said, well, her and her friend got in an argument, and it didn't end very well. And I said, oh, okay. So I went upstairs. And I said, hey, Bethany, I heard that you and your friend kind of argued. Let's talk about it. And so we talked about it. And next thing I knew, Dad was a millionaire, and she, we hugged and we prayed. She cried a little bit as we talked about it. I didn't attack the deed. I attacked the need. And so and we're going to talk about how important that is in just a few minutes. So music is number one. Guess where mom is? Mom is 49 and dad is 51. So it's music, brother, sister, aunt, uncle, grandpa, grandma, pastor, Sunday school teacher, mom, Camden, then dad. That's what it is. And so we made a decision. We wanted to be in the top five. We didn't have to be the, the first one, but we wanted to be in the top five. And so we had all these things. Look for the need behind the deed. Um, we said, we're the thermostat, not the thermometer. What's the thermostat do, men? It sets the temperature, right? And so what does the th thermometer do, moms? It tells what the temperature is, right? So we're the thermostat. So we weren't going to, we're the adult. So we weren't going to let our kids set the temperature in the room. We were going to set the temperature. So they would be really mad at us. I'd smile at them. And I said, son, I sure, you know what? If I were you, I would be mad also. And I fully understand why you're mad. But in this house, this is the way we're going to do it. And they'd ask me if they'd go somewhere. And they already know the answer. I said, son, why do you want to make me look like a bad parent? You know I'm not going to let you do that. I'd just smile at them. Stuff would get them so mad. But I'm setting the, the temperature, right? And, um, and I'm not going to let them do it. So we have all these little things that we would do. Why is that? Because I want them to know that I believe in my role as a parent. And I would tell Camden, I have your best interest in mind. I'm not doing this because I don't want 
a quiet night at home. I would rather you leave so it would be a quiet night at home. But it's bigger than that. I've got a responsibility, and this is my responsibility. I need you to be the best person you can be, and it's my responsibility to get you there. And so, so because I am the strongest influence in my children, guess what I didn't worry about? I didn't worry about other outside influences. I didn't have to teach my kids that they didn't listen to Miley Cyrus and Reckonball, okay? I didn't need to worry about any of those things. Why? Because I'm the strong. If my kids, this is, might be the most important thing I say concerning this point. My role as a parent, the reason my kids followed Christ, is, here's the whole crux, because they liked the life that I lived. And if your kids like the life that you live, then they want the things that you have. They want your marriage. They want your walk. They want your God. They want your attitude a little bit. I, I heard Camden preach here a while back, and I walked in, and he was wearing the exact same thing I was wearing, boots, jeans, weren't you? Yeah, the exact same thing that I was wearing. And if your kids are attracted to you the way that you live your life, they'll want what you want, including you, your God. You don't have to go in and teach them any of that. So because I'm the strongest influence, I didn't worry about those other things. I had one worry, that my kids would be attracted to who I am. I asked Camden one day, I said, Camden, what kind of woman are you looking for to marry? He said, Mom. I said, man, if you find mom, you would find a great thing, and he did. I actually had the opportunity to officiate their wedding with privilege, with privilege. He married, made a great choice, made a great choice. I love my wife so much. We've been married 32 years that I would do it all over again just faster, just faster. We have a tremendous, better-than-average marriage, but we don't do it passively. It's intentional. It's intentional. And so I learned that one, I'm a, here's a marriage nugget. If you want to have a great marriage, here's the one piece of advice I can give you. Be nice. Just be nice. And you guys know how to be nice. If I was coming over to y'all's house for dinner tonight or tomorrow, okay, it's too late tonight, what would you do to get ready for me to come over your house for dinner? You're going to clean, right? So you're going to cook? So you're going to cook? My, my wife and I pulled up. You'd probably meet us at the door and welcome us. And what would you do? You'd probably cut the grass if it needs to be cut and do all the honeydew she's been trying to get you to do for a month, you know, changing the light bulb because it's out and all those things. And you don't even know us. And you're being nice. And I'm just picking on them because they're in the front row. What would it be like if you did that every night when your husband came home? You cooked a little bit, cleaned up, put on a little makeup, and met him at the door and gave him a kiss. Glad to see you. You know, or you, you know, your wife's gone and you mowed the grass for her and changed all the things and she walked in and, honey, look at all this stuff you've been asking me to do. And I, I did it. That's just being nice. You know what my wife does for, for the past 32 years, almost every day? Literally, you can ask her. She meets me at the door. She gives me a kiss, hugs me, tells me what things are going on. And, you know, when she's gone, and uh, I know she's, she was gone up to Arkansas for a couple weeks before she came back. I did the yard. I made sure the house was clean. You know, I couldn't wait for her. To, when she came home, I walked outside, gave her a big hug, just being nice. When we're mad at each other, we're cordial. We're cordial. And I've, listen, you guys might think I'm lying. I wish Elise was here. 
I've never yelled at my wife in 32 years. Never yelled at her. I've never degraded my wife. I never said she was dumb, stupid, what you did was idiotic. Not in jest, not in sarcasm, not behind her back, not in, not in secret. Never done any of those. Why? Because I want my wife to be able to communicate with me openly and not have any fear. I want us to have a great marriage. And we're just being nice. We're just being nice. And when you're that way, you know what your kids want? They want what you've got. They see that. They want, man, I would love to have a marriage like I want mom. I want mom. I asked my oldest daughter, what's Kevin like? This asked her husband. She said, Dad, he's just like you. That's my wife calling me, telling me how great a job I'm doing. <laughs> you know, she said, she's, he's just like you. I said, really? I said, yes, personality, all these things just like you. You know what she wants? She wants what I've got. And you know what that includes? God. God. But if you're not living a life that's attractive, they will actually run away from it. They will actually, what you do in moderation, they will do in excess. They will run away from it. They'll do all they can because you know what they've realized? That this God thing isn't real. Well, how do you, how do you know it's not real? Well, you don't believe it. Look at the way you live your life. But if you believe it and you live it, they will want it and they'll follow Christ. So you are the strongest influencer to your children. You can cause your children to embrace your beliefs by them embracing you. That's a strong statement. That's a strong statement. So kind of look at this. So in, in your life, in the areas that matter most, what's your win? How do you know you've achieved it? In your marriage? with your kids, in your faith, in your work, in your finances? How do you know that you've achieved it? What you win in each one of those categories, I'm actually going to share with you guys mine. So just think, just for a second, okay, with your kids. How do you know if you're a good parent with your kids? What what will happen to them or... You know, what's your goal for them as a parent? Is it go play baseball at UT? Throw for three touchdowns? You know, not have to give them a spanking this week? To move out of the house? I got a buddy of mine, his two daughters went to college. Immediately, he and his wife sold their house, moved into a flat downtown so they wouldn't move back. And I, th- and I thought, his name's Tom. I thought, do you know what happened, though? His, his girls finished college, didn't have a place to live. Both of them moved in with guys because they parents got rid of the house. They didn't have a place for them. And so they both of them moved in with guys. Isn't that something, how that kind of works? And so think about it just real quick. You don't have to say anything. Think about it. What, what would be your win for your marriage? How do you know if you're succeeding? What would be your win for your kids? How would you know if you're succeeding? For your finances, your job, I'm going to share with you guys mine here in just a minute. In the areas that matter most, most people never define the win. In the areas that matter most, most people never define the win. And so let me just kind of go with, through you with mine. So in your Christian walk, in your marriage, in your finances, with your children, and so in my marriage, I have two wins. My first win is I want my marriage to be so attractive that others would want to get married. That's a win for me. If you guys saw my wife and I hanging out 
that you'd say, man, I wish we were like that. Or if you weren't married, and I hope most of y'all are, that you'd want to get married. And the reason I have this is because I watched somebody else, my boss and his wife, and I thought, man, if I could have a marriage like that, I'll get married. And I thought, when I get married, I want my marriage to be that way, that when people see it, that they would want to get married. Now, this is important because you know what this is? Each one of these I'm going to go through, this is our North Star. If I want my marriage to be this attractive, that means I've got to work at it. I can't just sit around and hope it happens. And so I do things in my marriage in order for it to be attractive to other people. So I don't degrade my wife. I hold my wife's hand. I open the door. I give her a kiss. I give her a hug. I treat her respectfully. And, you know, and it, it's not fake. When I first got married, I had to work at it. But now it's become normal because when I first got married, it was abnormal. I knew what to do. I read the books. I saw what other people did. I saw what it, what it took to look successful. But I had to force myself to go do it. So my first one in my marriage is I want my marriage to be so attractive that others would want to get married. Now, I know what you guys are thinking. What does this have to do with my kids following Christ? This is nothing what I thought. Well, guys, this is how your kids follow Christ. That they see the way you're living your life, and it's real, and they want it. What parents or what kids wouldn't want to see their parents respect one another, kiss each other, love each other, hold each other's hands, be kind to one another, not degrade them? You know what my kids never did? I never let them talk back to their mom, and none of them ever have. I'm not going to let you talk bad to my wife. I'm not going to let them talk bad to my wife. You know why? She's my girlfriend, and she's going to be around way longer than they are. And my kids do not degrade my wife. If they did, they saw a part of dad that was not very pleasant, was not very pleasant. And guys, if you're letting your kids talk back to your wife in a disrespectful way, shame on you. Shame on you. It's your responsibility. You're the priest. You're supposed to love your wife as Christ loved the church. You should never let your kids talk back. You should let them know that if they do, there's a such an irritation, I will explode if my kids talk back. Five kids, none of them ever did it because their dad wouldn't let them. Their dad wouldn't let them. And so they're attracted to that. And they want my marriage. They want my God. They want the things that I have. And they grew up that way. And they're still living that way. Now, could they have chosen to go another direction? Yes. But I'm giving them the best possible option not to. And if they choose to go that direction, whose fault is it? Say it. Theirs. And guys, I'm kind of surprised that none of mine did. God had two in the Garden of Eden, and both of them chose to go the wrong direction. I'm not saying I'm better than God. But I was hoping that some of them would follow Christ when I was doing this, okay? So you could do the right things. God did the right things. And Adam and Eve chose to do the wrong thing, right? And so just because you're kids, but the big thing for us is are we doing the right thing? So my first one for my marriage is I want my marriage to be so attractive that others would want to get married. My second one was is I wanted my wife to want me to come home. I wanted to live my marriage in such a way that my wife was excited that I came home. When she saw my car drive up, that maybe her heart would flutter a little bit that she'd want to come meet me at the door, that she was excited when I came home. And that, so you know what I didn't do when I came home? 
I didn't come home. This house is a mess. You kids, get around and kick the dog and tell them how bad my day was. I didn't do any of those things. You know why? Because if I did, my wife wouldn't be excited about me coming home. I came home. I kissed my wife back. I asked about her day. I helped around the house. I took the garbage out because it needed to be taken out. I put the toilet paper back on the row so it comes from the top side instead of the bottom side. I squeezed the, the toothpaste from the bottom because she doesn't like I do it in the middle. I picked my clothes up and put them in the hamper. I did all those things. You know why? Because I want my wife to be excited about me coming home. I'll even ask her sometimes, are you excited about me coming home? Yeah, I'm excited about you coming home. I can't wait for you to get there. Well, I, that didn't happen by accident. That was totally intentional. Now, for my kids, this was my win for my kids. And I know that when you guys are thinking about this, you're probably thinking big things. I want them to graduate and be a Ph.D. and all that kind of stuff. And I didn't care about those things. I didn't, if Candon was a garbage disposal man, I wanted him to be a godly garbage disposal man. If he was going to be a doctor, I wanted him to be a godly doctor. I know doctors would do stupid stuff, you know. I didn't care what he did. I didn't care. I didn't even care if he knew two plus two. He can get on. He can ask Siri what two plus two was. I wanted Camden to know that when bad things happen, this is how you react. This is how you respond. And so for my kids, I wanted my kids. When my children had to talk with someone, they would want to come talk with me. And we already talked about that. I wanted to be in the top five. So even with my kids, I didn't overreact. I didn't. You know, all the things I kind of do with my wife, my wife does with me. And and uh, and we would ask ourselves, what do we want an adult to look like in this? And so when they came and talked to us, we didn't say, oh, I can't believe you. You kissed her? What in the world, man? You know what that? We just, well, Camden, do you think that was the wise thing to do? Let's talk about that for a minute, Camden. We kind of go through it, and I kind of reason with them and talk to them. I remember my daughter, Bethany, she was my hard-headed one. She turned 18, and I said, Bethany, we're driving down the road. I can tell you where I was. I said, um, you're 18 now. She's out of high school. And I said, so we'll change some of the rules for you. And we'll agree on them. You and I will talk about it. We'll agree on them. And I said, you need to know dad loves you. And you could stay at our house as long as you want to. And uh, I would never kick you out. And, it's, and I said, so we're going to come up with some rules. That's good for you. But if you decide not to keep the rules, then... Um, then you'll have to move out. And she said, you'd kick your own daughter out? I said, oh, no. I love you. You can stay here as long as you want. I said, you're kicking yourself out. These are rules that we have for you to live at our house. And if you don't want to keep the rules, you're telling me you don't want to live here anymore, and I'm going to help you with that. So I said, who's kicking who out, Bethany? She said, I'm kicking myself out. I said, that's right. You're kicking yourself out. Okay, so that's how we went through our parenting. So Camden wanted to go to TCU, the Horn Frogs. Yeah, Horn Frogs. Okay, and Dad can afford education, but Dad can't afford experience. And so I said, Camden, you can go to the University of Memphis, and you can live at home. Dad will help you out. You can graduate from college, no debt. Mom will make you dinner. You have a clean room. She might even wash your clothes every now and again. Uh, we won't ask you a lot of questions as long as you're not doing dumb, and you can go to college. Or you can go to TCU on your own. It's $30,000 a year. You can get the same degree and be about $120,000 in debt. Totally up to you. Well, what do you want to do? He thought about it for a while. He said, I think I'll stay home. I said, wise guy. Wise move. Wise move. And so they would talk to us, and we'd kind of go through. Camden wanted to get a roommate. 
and he wanted to move out, live with three guys. I said, Camden, if you do that, this is what's going to happen. Somebody's not going to pay the rent. Someone's going to eat up all the food, and someone's going to keep the place dirty. So one of you three is going to be doing that. And I said, don't go get a, an apartment unless you have the money to pay for rent because somebody's not going to pay it. And don't think they are. I said, so you can go do that if you want, but this is what's going to happen. How do we know that, guys? Experience, right? We're not naive. We know how that works. And so I said, so what do you want to do? He said, I think I'll stay at home, Dad. I said, wise move. You know, wise move. And so you know what they did? They'd come talk to us. My children had to talk with someone. They would come talk to me. Now, this is my, our other one for our kids. We wanted children who want to be with us even when they didn't have to be. We wanted our kids to want to be with us even when they didn't have to be. And, guys, let me tell you, we have a, a big time, don't we, Camden, when we're all together. When somebody's missing, we call them on the phone and say, ah, we're all together. We take pictures of the food that we eat and we send it to them, you know, so they could see what they're missing. We love hanging out with each other. Camden invites me, stuff like this. Who invites their dad to come speak to a bunch of people? Right, My daughter, who's 17, hey, Dad, you want to go with me to go see this Marvel movie? You know what Dad does when they want to do stuff with me? I'll come do it. I'll stop whatever I'm doing, and I'll come do it. You know why? Because I want my kids to want me to be around them. And so I don't embarrass them. You know, I might embarrass Camden some tonight, okay? And, I, you know, but I treat them respectfully. They, you know what they want now? They want their friends to be around us. I'd wake up the next morning guys sleeping on the couch, guys sleeping on the floor. We'd walk through the halls of church. These guys walk by, hey, Mom, who's that? Well, that's the guy who was sleeping on the couch last night. Oh, okay. You know, so they want their friends to be around with us. In my Christian life, I wanted to live a life that I, I would impact others and they would use my name when telling people why, they, why their life is different. I wanted to live a Christian life in such a way, and this is with, with, with humility, that if somebody were to talk to you about their Christian walk, they'd use my name. That I impacted people in such enough. They said, man, when my life was going this way, then Daryl. I was going through this, I called Daryl. Daryl invited me to church. Daryl told me about God. Daryl, I actually had a friend of mine call me and said, you're the only guy I know who's living out his faith. Will you come talk to me? My life is ruined. My life is ruined. And so I go over there. I wanted to live my life in such a way that when people wanted to follow Christ or they did follow Christ, they would use my name. They'd use my name. In my profession, that my employees would be a better employee as a result of working for me. In our job, I have 180 employees that I would treat them in such a way. We do that. We actually, we have, every Friday morning from 8 to 9.30, we have our leaders come in and we go through a book and we learn and stuff. And I talk, I teach some of this with them that I want my employees to be better employees as a result of working for me. I want them to make a great living. I want all these things. But I want other, I want your companies to come after my guys because they're great guys. And they're great guys as a result of working at my company. That's what we want for them. Now, the Bible actually talks about this, and this is where we're going to talk about. And uh, um, this guy, this character comes up. We call him, he's known as Saul of Tarsus. And Saul of Tarsus um, was... Um, came on scene as a, um, a, um, a convictor of Christians. He's trying to get rid of the Nazarene sect, right? You guys know who, who this guy is. And his, he had one job was to eliminate them. And so he was good at it. He'd walk down the street and people say, hey, there's Saul. 
he took my dad. I hadn't seen him since. Hey, there's Saul. You know, he he put my mom in jail. Hey, there's Saul. He had my my sister beaten. There's Saul. You know, and they would say, and and then later on something happened, and his life changed, and then he became known as the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul did what? He went out, man. He impacted the world for Christ, and he talks about this a little bit about your win in life. And this is what he said. This is what he says about him. Now, Paul has this win statement we're going to look at, and he did this out of a deficit in his life, out of something that he did was bad, the way he was brought up, the way people looked at him, the way he thought he was supposed to live his life. And he decided to to, um, do something for the kingdom as a result of the deficit in his life. And he said this. He said, for I am the least of the apostles, and he was, and do not even deserve to be called an apostle, and he didn't. And you guys know his life. Because I persecuted the church. He realizes what he did. Man, I'm not worthy of any of this. I shouldn't even be called an apostle. I persecuted the church. People even now walk up to me and say, you murderer. You put my wife. You put my husband. You put my kids, my uncle, my friend. You know, what are you doing out here, right? And he says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. You guys thought Popeye said that, didn't you? By the grace of God, I am what I am. I can't do anything about the past. But by the grace of God, here I am today. And you guys need to know that if you decide, you can't do anything about your past. The way you were brought up, the way you you went through, then something happened in your life and your life changed. And you guys need to know you have the ability to parent this way. You have the ability, you have the ability to have a great marriage. You have the ability to have great kids. You have the ability to be a great boss. You have the ability to be a great believer in Christ who doesn't just say he's a follower, but people see it. That's why I didn't teach this. I I said earlier to Camden, we lived it. He saw it. He caught it. He was attracted to it. He wanted to be a part of it. And Paul said, by the grace of God, I am what I am. I can't do anything but the past. And his grace was not without effect. That means his grace wasn't wasted. That what he did for me is not going by the wayside that I could make an impact, and and Christ didn't waste his time calling me. Now I work harder than all of them. And you know what I had to do? And what you might have to do? You might have to work harder than all of them. What I started out as a parent, I did because it was the right thing to do, not the natural thing to do. When I went out and threw baseball with Camden, I didn't want to go through. I wanted to sit down and relax in the big recliner chair my wife got me. I wanted to watch ESPN and sports and stupid movies that had less than 38 cuss words, right, and only 14 murders, you know. I wanted to do those things. Why? Because that's how I grew up. I didn't, I, it wasn't natural. My dad never threw the ball with me. I didn't go play basketball and go play dolls with my girls and all that stuff. None of that was natural. I had to make myself do that. It was harder for me than maybe some of you guys. Your parents did some of those things, but it's normal for you. It wasn't normal for me, so I had to work harder than all of them, maybe all of you, all of you. And then Paul gives us his win statement. Now, this isn't your win statement. This is Paul's win statement. And if you think about the areas of your life that we talked about, the important areas of life, what is your win statement? This is what Paul's win statement. As a result of a failure, Paul said this, Though I am free and I belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone in order to win as many people as possible. Paul's win was to win as many people as possible. 
He did all this bad stuff. Now he wants to change direction. And he used to kill all the Christians. Now he wants to bring them all to Christ. That was his job. And so he did all these things in order to get people to come to Christ. And, 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 and then he goes on and he says, to the Jew, I became a Jew. To the Gentile, I became a Gentile. And you would say, what do you mean, Paul, to the Jew, you became a Jew? You're already a Jew. He said, yes, but I want to be the best Jew. When people saw me, I want them to say, I out-Jew everybody. Nobody can be a better Jew than me. And when people saw Daryl, you know what I want them to say? Nobody can outdo Daryl as a husband. Nobody can outdo Daryl as a dad. Nobody can outdo Daryl as a boss. Nobody can do that. And, of course, they can. But I wanted to live my life in such a way that it was so intentional that when people saw it, that they wanted to be like me or they wanted to do the things that I did or they want to ask questions and come talk to me about it. And I say that humbly, guys. It, I wish you knew me better because it sounds very arrogant, and it's not. Then he uses a sports metaphor. He says, everyone who competes in the game goes into strict training, and they do it all to get a crown that will not last. So he goes in this big metaphor, sports metaphor. He said, you know, when people run a race, they run a race, and they know who they're competing against. You know, they got runners. They got football players. They got people shooting John Morant. You know, they know what they need to do to win. But in the things that matter most, man, we don't have anybody competing next to us. How do we know if we're winning? How do we know if we're doing a good job? How do, you know, in my marriage, how do I know? If it, and, and that's why I asked you guys for a win statement. Now, some of you guys don't know what it, if you're winning or not at your marriage. Some of y'all don't know if you're winning or not with your kids. You never really considered it. But you have areas in your life you have considered. Here's one of mine. I'm a tennis player. I just went to, we won the city of Memphis. Um, our team came in first place, so we get to go to the state, and we get to compete against all these other teams across the, the state. And if we win, we get to go to sectionals. If we win sectionals, we get to go to nationals. I actually get to go to nationals in a few weeks and mixed doubles. And so um, this was a totally different team. I'm on two teams, an 18 and over and 55 and over. So today we won the 55 and over state. Isn't that something? So I've got this tennis bag, and I'm training, guys. I've got uh, two rackets in here. I've got different colors. One is if I'm hitting the ball really flat. The other one has little uh, twists in it. So if I'm not spinning the ball enough, I've got two different rackets I can use. And I've got 55-year-old men stuff. I've got ibuprofen. I've got back rub. i got liniment. i got ankle braces, knee braces. I've got all kinds. I've got extra can of balls. I've got balls that are good for cold weather, man. I've got all kinds of stuff to get ready in order to play tennis. I want to be a good tennis player. Matter of fact, I used to play tennis to stay in shape. Now I get in shape to play tennis. My metabolism, uh, my father-in-law said, Daryl, you're getting level. I said, what do you mean by that? He said, the bubble's in the middle. And so some of you men might have to explain that to, to your wife. You know, a level, the bubble's in the middle. And that hurt my feelings. So I thought I need to go do something about it, right? And so now I have to kind of work out so I can play tennis. I did all of that. For this weekend, I spent $1,500 to go play in this state tournament. You guys know what I got for winning first place? This T-shirt. <laughs> this T-shirt right here. I, I wanted to wear it so you guys could see it. You know what everybody got who went down there and played? Who, who was in last place? This same T-shirt. Everybody did that. And I did that just to play tennis. What if, and you guys do that for fishing, hunting, planting a garden, decorating, whatever it is you enjoy doing, you put in a lot of effort to do it. 
you want people to see it. You hold up the fish. You put it on Facebook. You know, you killed the deer, and you got it on there, and you're showing all your buddies everything that you killed and all that stuff. You're doing the same thing. And what if we ran our race in the areas that mattered the most the same way we play tennis, the sports, whatever it is, that we would invest that kind of – see, you get to decide. Now, guess what I didn't do when I was raising my kids? I couldn't do that. I did it some Saturday mornings at 6 o'clock for about an hour and a half. Then I came home the rest of the day. I was doing that. Why? Because I had a win statement. I wanted my kids to want me around, and I wanted my kids to come talk to me. I wanted them to be attracted to my marriage and the life that we lived. I couldn't do that by being absent. I had to be intentional. I had to invest in it. So Paul says, everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training, and they do it to get a crown that will not last. You know what they got? They got a crown of leaves called laurel leaves. You ever heard the terminology of resting on their laurels? That means they're resting on their past accomplishments. And eventually the laurel leaves dried up and they were gone, like this T-shirt. All the effort I put in to get this T-shirt, get this T-shirt. And it goes on, it says this, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. A son who's investing in your kids. Another son who wants to be a youth pastor, who wants to invest. They, you know why they like the youth ministry? Because their life was touched in the youth ministry. Somebody invested in them. And it caused them to follow Christ even more and to go after the, the things of God. And so everyone who competes in the game goes into strict training. Parenting, marriage, finances, work, your Christian life just doesn't happen by accident. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. And, and guys, I hate to say this. Sometimes we parent aimlessly. We don't have a clue. We don't have any idea. We don't know what we're going after. And so we're doing like a boxer beating the wind, trying to figure out how this thing works. And no, I strike a blow to my body in order to make it a slave. I give up the things. I do the things necessary to do it. I get out of the chair. I go out and throw the baseball. I go out and teach them how to change the tire. I go out and teach them how to cut the grass. I can remember Caleb. I said, Caleb, um, I want you to cut our yard, and I'm going to pay you. I can't remember, 20 bucks. He said, Dad, that's not enough to cut the yard. I said, Caleb, you can either cut the yard for free or you can cut the yard for 20 bucks. Totally up for you. I'll, I'll, I'll do it for $20, Caleb. Okay, okay, you do it for $20, right? And so with purpose, look, man, this is, how, you know, I'm going to get up. I'm going to go do this. And so, uh, so, no, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave. So that after I have preached to others, I myself would not be disqualified with the prize. After I lived a life in such a way that they see it, that I don't disqualify myself as a dad. I don't disqualify myself as a husband. Now, here's the deal, guys. Some of you guys have kids. Who has kids who play sports? When they don't have a good year, you say to them, son, don't worry about it. Wait until, say Next season, wait until next season. You'll do better. You'll throw better. We'll, we'll go get you some help and all this stuff. We don't have a next season with this. We have one opportunity. 
to make an impact. And when it's over, it's over. And for most of us, if our kids choose to be bad, a lot of it's on us, unfortunately. If your kids don't want to follow Christ, a lot of it's on us. You don't live the life that you say you believe. See, today's Christian belief and behavior are two different things. We believe what we believe, but we don't have to behave that way, do we? And then we compartmentalize our life. You have your church life. You have your hunting life. You have your tax life. You have your whatever it is. And you're different in all those different areas. And when your kids see that, they're not attracted to it. And if they're not attracted to it, they're not attracted to your God because it doesn't work. I'm going to give you what I wanted Camden to look like as an adult. First one was Christ follower. Second one, I wanted him to have confidence. And so we ask ourselves, what do we want our kids, our adult children to look like? We want them to have confidence. And how did we do that? That your child would feel good about themselves and that they would know who they are because of whose they are. Every time Camden would get out of the car when we went to church, I said, Camden, who do you belong to? I belong to you, Dad. Who else do you belong to? I belong to God. Who loves you, Camden? You love me. Every single time I would do that. They probably got tired of it. They, they started answering the question before I would even ask it. And, and I would go watch Camden play baseball every time. And I said, Camden, I love watching you play baseball. I'd get out there, hey, Camden, you want to be better at this? Yeah, I want to be better at this. Well, let's go get better at it. But I never pushed him. He, want, he did it on his own desire. We had a good time. That was, you know, all those things. But all that, I want him to have confidence. Then I want Camden to have character. That your child would have a moral compass of value-making decisions of integrity informed by an understanding of what is right. Homeschooling is not for everybody, but we homeschool for this purpose. We wanted to instill our character into Camden, not other people's character. Kids are brutal, man, brutal, brutal. And so our last name is Nephew. You know how many times he would have gotten beat up for the last name of Nephew, you know? And so, so, but we want him to have character. And then we want him to have conviction. That your child would have a belief grounded on biblical truth, internalized to a point of intentional action. That he just didn't hear it, but he'd have conviction that that's the way I'm supposed to live. That's what I'm supposed to do. That's how I'm supposed to act. That's how I'm supposed to, whatever it is, he'd have a conviction and he would stand by it. And he'd make the right decision based off of his conviction. And he, then we want him to have compassion. That your child will be secure enough in themselves so they can focus on others and their needs. So we want them to have compassion. And guys, we would think of practical ways to show our kids, our adult children, how to do this. If our kids weren't compassionate towards one another, we would take them to nursing homes where they had to be compassionate. We gave them, this is another principle we had, we gave them a reason to need what we taught them. We gave them a reason to need what we taught them. And so if they didn't get it, we'd take them in a place to, to do it. If we want to have conviction about their salvation and things of Christ and they didn't get it, we'd take them out soul winning. We'd take them to go do church things. We'd tell them how they impacted the kingdom of God by singing in the Christmas tree and how many people came to Christ just as a result of them being there. Uh, that would not have happened if you hadn't have been there. If they didn't have character, we'd say, man, nephews are leaders. They are not followers. Every time he got out of the car, I'd say all these things. I'd keep reminding him and letting him know that this is what I wanted my adult child. Nephews are leaders. You set the standard. You, hey, you're the person. If somebody isn't being talked to and they're in there, you go talk to them. And we'd go through these things and why they, should, they would do it. Then the last one, we want our kids to be competent. 
that your child would be able to function and thrive knowing they have a God-given gift. So we want them to be competent. And I think there's another part of that. That your child will become effective contributors to the world around them. We didn't want them to sit around playing video games until all hours of the night. We didn't want them hoarding off their parents. We want them to go out and get a job and learn what it took to work. When Camden was a young man, um, we, he's gifted with his hands. If you guys, he does housework and all that stuff. I went to a buddy of mine, and I, his name is Kevin. I said, Kevin, my son is, has a bent towards this, and this is my responsibility. He has a bent toward this, uh, fixing stuff. He was a contractor. You don't have to pay him. Would you take him under your wing and teach him how to do that? He can be your grunt boy. You can let him do whatever and teach him how to do things. And I just need him to learn. Dad's not good at it. But you are, and you can have free labor. I'm, I'm in a position where he, he didn't need the money. And, um, and he went and did that. And the guy liked him so much, he wanted him to work for him full time. You know? But you know what? We didn't want, we want to be a contributor. And so we even, so how do we parent that way? So Camden was struggling in school and college. And mom said, we need to help him. I said, I'm not helping him. He said, you don't want to help him pass physics? I said, no. I said, if he fails, who cares? He's only 19. He's only 20. He can retake the class. I said, but he needs to learn how to overcome it on his own. And so he needs to. So I went and talked to him. I said, Camden, mom tells you you're having trouble in physics. Yeah. Hey, um, let me give you a little bit of advice. If you're having trouble in physics, go get a tutor. Go talk to your instructor. Go do this, do this. You know, if he chose not to do it, whose fault was it? Come on. His. But here's my deal. If he failed at 19, he can overcome it. But at the age of 29, 30, when somebody comes in and takes his job or he's not competent at work and he gets fired and all that stuff, man, I, I, I taught him I wasn't there to bail him out. When he's not doing good, I want him to figure out how to go do it good. I want him to go learn how to do it. I want him to ask questions. I want him, he'll call me on the phone, Dad, can you tell me how to do this? He's trying to figure it out. Why do you do that, Daryl? Because I'm raising an adult. I need my son to be competent. I need him to be a contributor to society. And I'm going to let him fail. He played baseball. Second base was taken away from him. And it irritated me. And I was actually the president of the organization. I could have gone in and said, put my son back at second base. I didn't do that. Who cares if he's not playing second base? I said, son, if you want to go play second base, go talk to your coach. Ask him. I said, Camden, do you believe the coach has the team's best interest in mind? Yes. Do you think that he doesn't like you? No, Dad, I don't think he, I think he likes me. Do you think he moved you out of there because he thinks the team would be worse with you being, no, Dad, I think he thinks. Then he, he took you out of there for a reason. Y'all go ask him. And then it's up to you to work at it in order to get your position back. I'm not, now, I'll help you get better, but I'm not going to help you get your position back. That's on you. Did I care if he played second base again? No. But I cared that he learned, and I never told Camden any of this. He didn't know I was doing it. I cared that he learned how to step up and be the person he needs to be in order to get his job back, in order to get his wife back, in order to get his kids come talking to him. That's what I was raising. I was raising a competent child. This is another way that your kids will be followers of Christ. Delicate discipline that is purposed in love, not punished in anger. Delicate discipline. We never disciplined our kids out of anger or out of a mistake. We disciplined our kids out of rebellion. 
when they knew to do something they chose not to do it, we disciplined our kids. So we had these four R's when we disciplined. We wanted them to repent. We wanted them to repair the relationship. We didn't want them to do it again. I turned it away from that. So we, if, we, if we disciplined our kids and they were mad, we weren't done yet. We kept disciplining them. Sometimes that meant several spankings. We were spankers. You might not be a spanker, okay? We spanked them, and if they got mad, we'd go spank them again until they were sorry for what they did. So we wanted them to repent. We wanted to repair the relationship. If, they, if Caleb did something bad to Camden, we want him to go and say, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done that. Then we wanted to give restitution. If Caleb broke something to Camden's, we want him to pay it back, maybe even more so. Then we wanted him not to repeat it. So repent, restore, restitution, and not, re not repeat. And this is what happens. Okay, let me see. My child, do not reject the Lord's discipline, and do not be upset when he corrects you, for the Lord corrects those that he loves. And guys, this is important, this discipline deal. You know, you can't be a hovering parent, and you can't, you know, um, well, I'm going to show you why. This is why. When, now, here's a principle for discipline. The, the discipline has to be worse than the enjoyment of the wrong. None of you guys are writing this down. The discipline has to be worse than, than the enjoyment of the wrong. If your kids do something bad, and all you do is send them to their room so they can play video games, talk on the phone, and watch ESPN, guess what they're going to do again? Say it. They're going to do whatever they did again because what you did wasn't bad enough, okay? So I can remember Caleb did something really bad, a really irritated dad. I took his car keys. I took his phone. I took away all kinds of things. He went to his mom and said, what dad's doing is too harsh for what I did. You know what I thought? I, that was the right discipline. That if C Caleb came home, I don't care. You can do whatever you want, you know, blah, blah, blah. You know, then you know what he's going to do? He's going to do it all over again, okay? And guys, ladies, if you can't correct your kids and keep them in line at four, you are not going to be able to do it at 14. This starts when they start rolling over when you're trying to change their diaper. No, we don't roll over. So you train and don't retrain. You don't want your kids to turn your back to you when they're older. They can't turn their back to you when you're changing their diaper. I know that sounds harsh. We did not have to discipline our kids, spanking or anything like that after they turned about six or seven, because we'd already done all that beforehand. After six or seven, raising our kids was a breeze, because we already established what it was like when they were young. If you try to do this at teenage, our church had a parenting teenage class. My buddy Tim was leading it. I said, Tim, you don't parent teenagers, so you ought to call that a support group. You parent teenagers when they're babies. And when you do it when they're right, when they're babies, when they're teenagers, most often it's a breeze. Not all the time, but your job is to give them the best choice, the best option. So here's what happens when you, um, if you discipline with high love, low discipline, you see the top left, you're a, per, you're a permissive parent. And your kids will have low self-esteem and a deep feeling of inferiority if you parent that way. High love, low discipline, okay? 
my kid, he can do whatever he wants. You hover over him. You protect him. You don't let him get dirty. You don't let his buddies talk bad to him. You're sticking up for his own battles. He can't do anything wrong. You know, whatever it is, you think that he's God's greatest gift. Hey, y'all say this with me. I'm a sinner. Say this. My kids are sinners. Okay. Your kid probably did something wrong. Okay. And don't always think they're always right because they're not. Even as much as my kids loved the Lord, I knew I could not leave them alone with girls because they're guys. They're guys. We set up boundaries for them because they're guys. And why would I think he would be any better than anybody else? Now, I hope he's better, and I hope he can say no, but he's not going to say no the 20th time. He might say no 1 through 19. So we wanted to, you know, so we're getting that like, so high love, low discipline. Uh, quadrant two, low love, low discipline. You're a neglectful parent. You don't do anything. My dad didn't do anything. So what? I had no relationship. Even today, if I didn't talk my, to my dad even once a year, I know it's bad. I'm, I'm good with it. I'm good with it. Uh, no intimacy, no bonding, estranged from the family. When I turned 18, I was gone. I didn't care if I saw him anymore. Uh, quadrant uh, three, low love, high discipline. This is the dad. I'm the drill sergeant. I'm the man of the house. This is where your wife doesn't like you coming home because you're mean and have to stand to attention. You know what your kids think you are? A dictator parent. You, you provoke your children to rebellion. They are angry, so they lead to depression. They start cutting themselves. They start doing stupid stuff. They can't wait to leave, and they reject your faith. Now, if you want your kids to adhere to your faith, high love, high discipline. Look what it gives, authoritative parent, high self-image, great coping skills, positive relationship with the family, and they embrace your faith. So if you want your kids to be godly children, you have to live a life worth admiring. And if you don't do that, then you better start praying that somebody your kids admire start investing in their life because they're not going to do it from you. And they're not going to do it from you. And guys, we have to work harder than the world's working. And we can't think that they're going to get there by us being passive. You have to be intentional. And if you're intentional, the likelihood of the kids and Embracing what you believe, wanting the life that you want or have is much higher. And your job is is to give them the best possible outcome possible.